Every legend has a beginning. Just like ours. Welcome to Video Gameography, everybody. This is the podcast where we explore the most important game franchises in gaming history, one title at a time. I'm Ben Reeves. And I'm Marcus Stewart. And today we are joined by the illustrious Mike Mahardy, battling Mike himself. Good. Is that, is that what you call me behind my back? Battling Mike? I don't know. I should have gone with an M name. Mighty Mike? That works. Yeah. Men- you- Mental Mike? That's right. Now, Mighty Mike's good. Long-term Game Informer fans are probably familiar with your name, but you are currently the the senior editor over at Polygon. You're one-third of the cast of what, Firescape cast? You've you've done a lot of stuff in the industry, right? Yeah. Um, Yes, that is all true. And then uh, I've been, I did some freelancing for a while, did video production for a bit. I was at GameSpot for a long term, five years-ish. And then I uh, did some stuff with Giant Bomb. But yeah, Ben, I actually met you. Well, and Marcus, I met both of you through Game Informer. But I was an intern in 2012 uh, when I met you, Ben. After that, kind of just jumped around for a bit. But now I'm at Polygon, like you mentioned, which has been going great. Yeah, I can't believe it's been that long. That's been almost 10 years ago. Yeah, it'll be 10 years that, since I was an intern in like August, September. Time has flown. Yeah, we're all grown up now. Yeah. I'm super mature. You don't even know. Oh, yeah. You guys can't see it video, but the beard, that's like the ultimate sign of like maturity, mortgages, all that stuff. People call me mature, Mike, a lot. Oh, yeah. I have a pretty long beard. It's just on my belly. Mm. It moves around. Yeah, that's right. It moves around. Yeah. You cut into a shape of a B for your name. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, how'd you know? You look like that kind of. You talk about it all the time. It's like all you talk about. In my tell sleep. Me, yeah, tell me about the BR on your chest. <laughs> uh, it stands actually for Battle Rifle, not Ben Reeves. I'm just that much of a Halo fan, which fortunately, here we are to talk about Halo Reach. What a coincidence. <laughs> Way to circle back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good with segues. Yeah. Yeah. When I reached out and said, hey, do you want to be on? Halo Reach was like one of your top choices. You're like a huge fan of this game, apparently. Yeah, it's up. It's definitely... I used to there were points where I'd say it was my favorite Halo game, honestly. I don't know that I'd stand by that now, but it's definitely top three Halo games, I'll say. It's up there with ODST and Halo 2. ODST is that high for you? Yeah, I like ODST a lot. Wow, interesting. After replaying it recently. I like the weird ones, apparently. Halo 2 is not weird, but I know Halo 2 has its detractors with the campaign, at least. But yeah, Halo Reach, top three for sure. Okay. just real quick, I'm curious. We talked about ODST last episode and we were kind of like, uh, it's a good game, but it's definitely an oddball in the series and maybe the last one to go back to. But would you argue against that? No, I, it if, if someone was asking me for like the a good Halo game to go back to, I don't think ODST would be my favorite one or be the one that I recommend to newcomers or just people replaying it. But as someone who has been super into Halo since the first one, Halo one was the first only game I did not play on release day. But ODST to me is definitely the most one of the most daring ones. And I guess when you played a series that long, I kind of will give a game more points just for trying something new, even if it doesn't always stick the landing. But I love the jazz noir, rainy kind of just Chinatown seven soundtrack and vibes to it. I also like how lonely it is. I like how the structure of it, it's a mini open world, but then you're going into these flashbacks, short stories, kind of a frame story if you're like using novel terms. But I like it overall. 
Um, but I don't think it's super indicative of the series, which is probably stopping me from, like you said, recommending it to someone new to the series. Yeah. But yeah, I love it unabashedly. It's like the Majora's Mask of Halo, <laughs> which like, is my favorite game of all time. So there you go. Good yeah, the oddball entry that people either really love or really hate. Yes. There's no in between. <laughs> it's a perfect comparison. Also, took it's like similar development stories from everything I have gleaned. It's you know they needed to kind of fill a gap between huge releases, so they had the Splinter team go do something weird with you know the structure of the game before it, or at least the framework of the game before it, and then came up with, in my opinion, in both cases, something very cool. But like you said, Marcus, not everybody agrees on that. Did we just spend another hour talking about ODST or? Well, I don't mean to derail it. No, it's just no, a really just, good game. <laughs> it wasn't. I just thought it'd be funny if we just talked about ODST the whole time. But yeah, Reach, uh, you said was possibly your favorite or at some time had been your favorite was that mostly because of the campaign or did you play a lot of multiplayer back in the day played a lot of multiplayer and it's funny looking at it as a whole and i'm sure we'll get into these various aspects but i played a lot of its firefight at the time going back i'm not so sure i love it or at least last time i played it yes campaign is mainly what i'm coming to it for i really enjoyed that it felt to me like bungie you know signing off on halo the last one that they could put their stamp on. It felt like them going back to the beginning and saying, here's how we got here, but here's where we want to end it. It also feels very much, it's just impressive to me that it did the kind of um, Rogue One thing, which is the comparison I frequently come back to. It's, you know, the good guys are going to get messed up by the end. You know, it's a foregone conclusion where you're going, but it's impressive to me that they make getting there extremely compelling and tragic and scary. I wrote something recently for Polygon where, Halo to me is my favorite points in Halo are when it kind of veers back into horror, which the first game did a lot of, you know, it did the with the three, four, three guilty spark mission. It did that alien kind of Jenkins headcam thing. Well, in the flood, we're, we're horror flood, yeah. style menace. Sure. Yeah. And um, Reach kind of doubled back to do a lot of that. They they got rid of uh, Covenant translations, the barks for much of the game. So the Covenant was actually not just speaking English and doing the dumb grunt jokes, which I find funny. Don't get me wrong, but I like that uh, toward the beginning of Reach, they don't have the translation that Cortana gave the Master Chief. So they sound more like these monsters invading the Reach. I also just as a kind of geek of Halo lore, I like how much of that is used pretty elegantly in Reach in a way that you don't need to read all the books to understand. But I like how they deployed it here in the sense that got a bunch of these new characters. It's the first Spartans you've seen aside from the Chief if you've just been playing Bungie's games and not going into the lore. Uh, or no, sorry, because, yeah, yeah, in ODST, you're not Spartans, of course. So this is the first time you're playing with a squad of Spartans, which was really exciting to me, obviously, or to everybody who had just grown up with the chief being the solo Spartan or, you know, the co-op ghost Spartan if you're playing co-op. And they all look different, too, which was a new I want to say it was a new twist to the series, although technically in what threes multiplayer, you could customize your Spartan. Yeah. So maybe that's where it started, but. I always assumed that most Spartans canonically looked like Master Chief, but then Reach comes out and, oh, there's a bunch of different varieties of Spartan, apparently. Yeah. You can see the faces, too, or at least some of them. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is also different for the series. Yeah, and I'm, it's funny going back to reviews because a lot of people said that the new... No, you, you don't really connect to any of the characters, which I guess we we could get to that at some point, but I connected to some of these characters. Maybe there wasn't like a high bar, I wouldn't say. Master Chief, for a while, wasn't the most compelling character, in my opinion. He's cool as hell. He's a badass, but he wasn't the most he didn't have the most depth uh, until later on. I actually liked what 343 did with Infinite. But 
yeah, it was it was just interesting to see these actual humans beneath the armor for the first time. And that yeah. probably played a lot into why I liked it as well. Yeah, you highlighted what I like about the game really well a lot. I, I really liked the campaign. I had fun with that campaign. It, it I felt more mature. It felt grittier. How to scarier isn't quite the right word, but it definitely felt more like a a milit a serious sort of yeah. military story rather than you know this high concept sci-fi thing that we'd been on with master chief. Uh, this felt a little bit more boots on the ground and realistic, which I appreciated, but I definitely felt my enthusiasm for halo's multiplayer wane a little bit when reach came out. I think I was just sort of, it was only a year after ODST. So I'd probably played a bunch of firefight when ODST came out. And so a year later, I just was not quite feeling the itch for more halo yet at that point, or at least uh, multiplayer wise. So, but I did really love the campaign. Marcus, what about you? So this was actually my first Halo campaign. Uh, you know, if you've been following the other episodes, I already said that I didn't grow up with an original Xbox. Um, so my exposure to Halo was just land parties. Uh, so I didn't play any of the stories until I got the Slim 360 that came with Reach. And it's like, oh, OK, this is perfect because I can jump right in because it's a prequel. So I won't like need to know anything, basically. And I love this game, and a lot of it is for the narrative. It grabbed me, and I felt I did feel connected to the character, especially as someone that doesn't have any, like, the only thing I knew about Halo up to that point, and especially Reach, was, like, cultural osmosis of, like, I think this story ends badly for these people, but I don't know much beyond that. Maybe they all live, and maybe the planet blows up. Like, I, at first I thought Reach was the name of a ship. <laughs> That's how clueless I was. But I remember just being surprised at how, like you said, gritty and, like, even the camera angles, because uh, I, I rewatched the uh, the entire campaign leading up to this and like seeing how they kind of go for like a war movie style cinematic approach where like the camera's very shaky. It's following the characters as they're moving around. And even like a lot of the shots are like intentionally, like maybe not totally in focus. And I, I like that. I remember liking that back then and liking it even more seeing it again now. But I thought that the um, all the characters was cool. It was cool to have a character that talked constantly even though like noble six we'll get into that we get into the story it was like oh this guy seems pretty cool and kind of growing attached to the to some of the uh noble team members and also the fact that it was just a fun game to play like you know halo shooting has always been awesome especially bungie's take on it and mm -hmm. i like it, it's a weird entry in a way to kind of like be like oh halo is pretty cool because none of the other ones are quite like this especially tonally <laughs> but it, i mean it worked in terms of like oh i want to kind of go through and play halo one now because of you know the way the ending sets it up so yeah reach is awesome and did you did you go and play more halo after this yeah but it wouldn't be for years like it wasn't until the master chief collection or actually Again, actually, the one I played right after this was Halo 5. So I played the earliest and then the latest in the timeline and then went in the middle and played one through four. So I've, I've had a weird journey through Halo. <laughs> it is a weird journey. It's like how I watched the Alien franchise. I started oh. with three Alien 3. Oh, my which I was God. And then I went and watched Aliens and then Alien. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, Alien 3 is probably really cool if you haven't seen the first two. <laughs> you don't have anything to compare it Honestly, to. Honestly, I was like, people complain about this all the time and I don't get why. And then I watched two like Aliens and I was like, oh, that's why. Yeah, that's I was why like, Alien 3, or Alien 3 is probably like super action packed. Like, this is awesome. Uh huh. Marcus, it's funny that you talked about the cutscene, uh, like cinematography and how they shot it because 
I was wondering before we went live why the hell I wrote succession slash don't look up in my notebook. And I realized like, oh, it's like the Adam McKay style. He does that. The moving camera that like fly on the wall, zoom ins. Obviously, I know he didn't direct all of succession, but watching succession recently and then uh, the big short and watching don't look up. It's the same. It's like, what do you want to call it? Like documentary style. Like yeah. fake documentary style, which is funny because I'd never attach that to reach, but it totally does that. Like it's it'll be like from a corner when Cat is getting killed or sniped, and it'll be like, oh, that was a very sort of organic feeling cutscene rather than them just blocking everything perfectly, a la like Mad Men or The Sopranos. Yeah, like there's the one scene where we're talking to Halsey, and it feels like there's a cameraman like right behind one of the dudes, like over his shoulder, the way they shot it. And we're like, that's actually really cool. I almost wish they kind of kept that. Yeah, that would yeah. be nice. It definitely fit the tone of Reach probably better than it does anything with Master Chief in it because the Master Chief stuff is, again, so almost high concept, really high sci-fi. You almost want it to be really pretty and really pretty and, and grand. You have this glass-like sheen to it. Yeah, well, well, let's let's just dive in. Let's dive into the development history. Halo Reach released on September 14th, 2010, a little over 10 years ago now. We were all young bucks back then. No beard hair. Other games of 2010 include, hey, this is a pretty solid year. Other games of 2010 include Red Dead Redemption. So right there, it's like a great year. Civilization 5, Mass Effect 2, Fallout New Vegas, Super Mario Galaxy 2, our old friend Metroid Other M, the (laughs) Kinect released that year. This is also, I found this when I was researching it, Cut the Rope. Remember that? Mm -hmm. That iOS game that came out this year, which... I know I just listed a bunch of heavy hitters and and the Metroid Other M, but Cut the Rope honestly was a game that I played a ton that year and I really enjoyed. I think I've only played that at like a Dave and Buster's, like those giant blown up oh, games, weird. those phone games that they have. Uh, but yeah, I, I do remember it at the time. I remember I didn't have a smartphone back then, so I remember looking at all those mobile games and being like, oh, I want to try those, but I'm still old fogey with my flip phone over here. <laughs> It was the golden era of iOS games when games like that could come out and you'd pay like a buck for it. And it's like, hey, now I have like the next two weeks. Whenever I'm standing in line somewhere, I have something fun to do. And this was back before, obviously. Everything went free to play. So yeah, we we took a different route. Showing it off the people in line. (laughs) Yeah, I was showing the old lady next to me at the grocery store. Hey, check this out. You got (laughs) to play this. It's called Cut the Rope. Bragging about your score to her. (laughs) I showed it to my eight-year-old niece and nephew like a year ago, cut the rope because I still have it on my phone oh. and they thought it was a blast. So it holds up, man. A couple other films of 2010 include Toy Story 3, Alice in Wonderland, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, Inception, Tangled. It was right after Avatar had come out, the, I think the year before. So a lot of like 3D was on the rise. That was the year that Hollywood right. was trying to convince us 3D was going to be everywhere. There was like 3, 3D TV started coming out that year and Sony was really pushing out the PlayStation and stuff. Yep. And look at us now. And we all have one in our homes that we use regularly, yeah. right? Yeah. Change our lives. A few other events of 2010 include, uh, just to put your mind into 2010, the deep water horizon, that drilling rig exploded. If you guys remember that. Hmm. The repeal, let's see, Obama repealed the don't ask, don't tell policy for the U.S. military, which was, I would say, a good thing. Yeah. Hmm. And then there was that, remember the Chilean mining accident that trapped a bunch of miners underground for like 69 days? Yeah. Didn't they just release a documentary on that? Hmm. Did they? That sounds great. I think so. I think I saw something in passing on 
one of the 9,000 streaming services I'm subscribed to <laughs> about it. Yeah, so that was the year 2010. But to start with the development history, we have to go back to 2007, as we talked about in our Halo 3 episode. Halo 3 comes out that year. And then a few months before Halo 3 shipped, Bungie worked out that deal with Microsoft where they would branch off and be their own studio. They just had to deliver two more games to Microsoft before they were like completely off the hook. But they were their own independent company in 2007. They just had to uh, to fill the two games. So one was ODST, which we talked about. And then the other one, which started life as Halo 4, conceptually became Halo Reach. So Reach was like their last, as we said, their last hurrah in the Halo universe. And it was kind of fun that they went back and they're like, we don't really want to touch Master Chief again and try to figure out like his future. Let's just we have the book, you know, that was written way back when when Halo 1 came out. Let's revisit Reach. And as you said, yeah. Mike, we kind of knew this was going to be bad news for everybody, but it was still fun to see and fun to fun to explore that environment a little bit more. Yeah. And what I saw too was that it kind of gave Bungie a lot more creative freedom since Reach had only really, like said, mentioned in that book. So it was like exciting for the team. It was like, oh, we don't have to worry about trying to connect all these threads by pushing them there to forward. Let's go back and flesh out this existing thing and we can go wild with the environments and introduce new characters and basically just let's just do things we haven't really had a chance to do in the existing trilogy. So it sounds like a, a fun way to kind of send off the series of like, hey, let's just change her off. Let's just go wild. Yeah, it it felt like a really good spinoff to me. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I mean it in a in the sense that Halo, the Halo trilogy to me has always been kind of well, all the Halo games, their plots have been a bit garbled at worst and uh, overly complex at best, I'll say. Not to say I don't enjoy the storyline of Halo, but it takes some parsing, I'd say. And yeah. Halo Reach felt to me like exactly what you just said. It felt more like they're just taking the chance to make this like short little chapter and not short, but this one off chapter that kind of just sets things up and, you know, revisits this world that they've created in a from a different perspective, which when you say it out loud, it seems kind of bold to just, again, end your time with the series with that. But works super well. Yeah, I know Frankie O'Connor, who works for 343 now. I read an old interview with him at one point. He was talking about, you know, the first Halo game starts and it's this cataclysmic, like universe ending, like story. You're dealing with this like ancient prophecy. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's the first game. How do you escalate from there? You know, it's like, so every game since then has been sort of like trying to play in that pool. Mm. And then reach was this interesting opportunity where they could pare down. They could kind of, you know, wave some of that stuff away because they're telling a different story with different characters and you could get more boots on the ground type, as we've said, conversations. I know there was a lot of talk apparently during development of kind of referencing different films. The Magnificent Seven came up a couple times, Seven Samurai, stuff like Saving Private Ryan. So that was mm -hmm. the tone they were going for. I wonder because this would have been maybe a year or less than a year after The Hurt Locker came out. That was 09. I remember correctly. So yeah. I was like, I wonder if that had it, like, if that was out long enough to have any influence. But like watching it back uh, for this, I was like, I could see a little bit of that in this game. Yeah. I wonder if anyone saw that movie and was like, guys, 
This is it. They're doing it. Hollywood's doing it. <laughs> I thought of, uh, they said Saving Private Ryan. I kind of thought of like Black Hawk Down or something too, which was the early aughts, which would have been more time to maybe, they didn't reference that specifically, but kind of like you're saying with the Hurt Locker, it's like, oh, maybe, maybe that was just sort of in the zeitgeist that they were picking up. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of reach and shooting it kind of like this war journalism and the fact that another aspect of reach to me that kind of ties into all of this is this is the first time you see really large scale battles in the Halo universe. It's always been these one off skirmishes. I mean, Halo 3, you're fighting these two scarabs at once, and that's pretty large scale. But I mean, I think third mission in Halo Reach, you've got this whole battalion of warthogs driving across this field to try to come up and attack that base so you can get into the... um, starships i think that ties into the kind of war documentary vibe is oh it's this actual big battle you're a part of you're not this mythical lone spartan you are one of this like elite unit that is also supported by other battalions and unsc marines and it felt very much kind of like it felt like exactly what i imagined these battles to be before you know the pillar of autumn makes its random jump to halo and it becomes this more mysterious mythical otherworldly story rather than this gritty kind of just like mud and water on the camera lens kind of style which again yeah. i think just felt like something really different finally in a very opposite way that odst did which obviously is more noir still gumshoe detective lone hero further reinforcing why I liked Reach and how it actually felt refreshing despite being the last game Bungie worked on. It is interesting just tonally the difference between ODST and Reach and what they were like looking at for reference. It's wild. And those games also, they came out like less than a week, excuse me, less than a year apart. It was a week to the day short. It was like 51 weeks later or something. Yeah, it's crazy. A couple other things we should highlight too before we move too much further. 2007 was important for the development of Halo because that's when Microsoft founded 343 Industries. They knew that Microsoft was going to take over Halo. You know, they're not going to just stop making Halo. (laughs) They're like, we need a studio, an internal studio who can take this over. And so they, instead of just hand it to an existing studio, they decided to create a new one to take it over. And so that's when 343 was created and 343 helped a little bit with the creation of Reach, although it was still primarily Bungie's baby. And then in 2009, it was like February of 2009, before ODST came out, Halo Wars came out. So I believe that was the first game that wasn't a shooter that came out with the Halo branding. It's not a Halo within those two years. That was the first game outside of, first Halo game outside of Bungie as well. That's right. Yeah, Ensemble Studios created Halo Wars. And I think that was a good game. Either you guys played that Me one? Too. I played both of them. Yeah, I have not. I've never played an RTS game outside of Brutal Legend, if that counts. <laughs> but Halo Wars has always been one where I was like, that'll probably be the one I would try just because I've heard that it's one of the better kind of console RTSs. And I'm primarily a console player for the most part. So, yeah, I believe it's on Game Pass even. So if you want to yeah, check it out, it's worth checking out. Because it's funny that Halo Wars 2, I finally played, and I really like everything Creative Assembly does, because they did two, despite Ensemble doing the first one, but that set up like the entire story of Halo Infinite, so I pr- finally played it a few months ago with the Banished and Atriox, yeah, the Banished in there. I remember, yeah, Halo Wars, we, you know, we're not doing a dedicated episode or, or anything, but I really enjoyed that first Halo Wars, maybe even more than ODST. I think I was like, oh, if they just go and do more... RTS stuff for Halo, I'd be all on board because 
know, Halo was originally envisioned as an RTS series way, way, way back in the day. So it's kind of felt like a fun full circle thing. It'd be cool if they just kept making them. But obviously, RTS games are not quite as popular as shooters these days. So probably is not going to keep happening. Yeah. Yeah. Halo Wars was I liked it as well. It was just complex enough to still feel like a full fledged RTS, but just simple enough to work on consoles. They struck a very difficult balance, but I digress. It's good. Yeah, it was fun to see that the Halo franchise is starting to branch out and do other things. I guess in a weird way, it always had been because they had tons of books and comics before this. You know, books came out before the games came out, but they're starting to do different things in the game space as well. So it's Mm -hmm. just a massive brand. So Microsoft knew that they needed to create a separate studio to handle all that stuff. Even if 343 is not creating every game, Halo-related game, they're at least sort of funneling it through 343 as the, pun intended, the arbiters of the Halo franchise. They should have gone with that name. Arbiter Studios? Yeah. Why name yourself after that weird little Wheatley robot? I don't know. Yeah, I'd never... Were you a fan of 343, Mike? Not the studio, the the character. No, not really. I think I've heard that it was because he was the custodian of Installation Zero Four, and they're the custodians of Halo now. Yeah, it makes sense. I guess. <laughs> That's the only. I think I feel like I heard that at some point. But Arbit the the Arbiter sounds like a way cooler development <laughs> studio. It's not too late, three four three. <laughs> or just make a studio and call yourself the Assassins. That's good too. Yeah, is it too late 10 years after you've established yourself and you've developed like what five games or something? Is it okay to change your name? Hey, Facebook can do it. Change the series too. Who cares? Change the name there. Maybe get the Arbiter game that we've been mm. asking for. Some of us, maybe. <laughs> They're out there. I would I would definitely play that. That'd be cool. But yeah, they they did think Bungie did think a little bit about maybe making Halo 4, maybe making it a Master Chief game, but it seems like they pretty quickly settled on let's just do something different. There's a quote from Marty O'Donnell, who was the you know sound director. We've talked about him a bunch of times on the series. He said, we already knew there was a story about the human colony of Reach, and Reach is like Titanic, where everybody dies. So I remember saying, okay, everyone who plays this game knows that everybody dies. But Titanic was still a really compelling movie, even though you knew that the boat sinks. You're not expecting it to not sink. So that was sort of the philosophy around Reach. Who's the Jack and Rose of Reach? Well, it'd have to be like you and, I don't know, George or that Skullface guy, Emil. I guess you guys are kind of the last two pretty much at the end. There is that scene where Emil throws you out of the ship, right? That's kind of like when... Rose's that was George. The, oh, George. Oh, yeah, that was in the beginning. He's the first one to go. The scene where he, uh, George is holding on to you and he throws you out of the ship. Yeah, if the ship was the door in the ocean. Exactly. It's kind of like that scene from Titanic is what I'm saying. Yeah. You figured it out. There we go. Answered your question. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Star Wars Rogue One, Mike, which I think I don't think I've thought about that comparison before. It is an interesting comparison. I, I remember thinking this. When Reach came out and when Rogue One came out, where it got close to the end, I was like, mm, I wonder if anybody makes it out of this. Like, there was still that glimmer of hope. I was like, maybe somebody takes a shuttle off world at the very end or, you know, in Reach. I was like, maybe one of these guys pops on one of these planes and, and just takes off. But this is jumping ahead to spoilers. But no, n- nobody survives. Well, well so, I, I thought one. June did. June makes it. Yeah, he, he shows up with Halsey in the um, what's the name of what's the name of the author? Uh, Catherine Bear. 
I might the the book she wrote June shows up. I believe it's briefly Big Bear Catherine. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. BBK. Yeah, he got he locked down and got the mission of escort Hall, Halsey off planet. So he is the only one of Noble Six that makes it and then uh, eventually becomes one of the co-founders of the Spartan Four program. Aha. Well, the, he was already a normal Spartan, so. Yeah, he's a Spartan Three. I guess he was like, we can do better. I watched all my friends die. So, <laughs> yeah, we said the inspirations were stuff like Magnificent Seven, Saving Prayer of Ryan. There's another quote I think is interesting from Jamie Griesmer, who is one of the, the lead developers, went on to work on Sucker Punch, uh, at Sucker Punches, I should say, on Infamous Second Son. Anyway, Jamie says, everybody that worked on ODST was in the same boat as me. They didn't want to work on the same Halo game anymore, but try something new with new storytelling. ODST was a cool experiment, but I think Reach was more of a slog. They were essentially making Halo 4, but without the number, and they saw it that way. So a lot of the expectations that came with that were on them. Mike, we've talked about how pretty much every time Bungie went to make another Halo game, basically since Halo 2, they were they were ready to be done with the franchise. <laughs> yeah. And so they had to work and basically make five Halo games that they didn't want to make, which, you know, I, I could see that not being a fun environment. You're making the biggest thing in the world. All these gamers are idolizing you, but you're working on something you don't want to work on. Like, that'd be sad. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to work at. I mean, I respect what these teams do to the moon and back, but I don't think I'd want to work for 343 or the coalition and just be pigeonholed into making contractually this series until I leave the studio. I didn't I didn't I don't think I knew it was like since Halo 2 that they want to do something else, which is funny because they made several more really good games in this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's ironic looking back. Yeah. And every game that they made, it felt like it was just rattling <laughs> all the way to the end. They're like It could fly apart at any minute Pretty and much. somehow they stuck the landing every time. With Reach, though, I think they were finally they had enough. Uh, they had their feet under them a little bit more. And I think even, you know, Jamie called it a slog, right? So I'm sure on some level they were eager to be done so they could go work on their own thing that they owned and they were a little more excited to do. So I could see that. But at the same time, I think they finally had some systems in place and organization stuff and principles that they were able to to make a game and it wasn't disorganized, which that was one of their bigger problems with Halo 2 and 3 was they were just super disorganized. Yeah. I mean, mentally, that's got to be a relief knowing that this is the last one and you're out and you can do whatever you want. Like, even if like they still had trouble, you know, putting it together, like that's just comforting. <laughs> like, it just seems like they would not be at each other's throats the way it were for like, especially what was a Halo 3 that it seemed like everyone was going to murder each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that like, hey, guys, we're done after this and we're playing. We're making a game that we can pretty much do whatever we want narratively. Why, why are we yelling at each other anymore? <laughs> like we're, we're right there, right at the finish line. Let's just go. Let's just be happy. Yeah. So development took about three years, which, you know, that's not too bad. One thing I liked and you mentioned it earlier, Mike, was the aliens actually talked in their own native language. I thought that made them a little more intimidating. It definitely made more sense, too. It's like, oh, here's these aliens. They're invading my planet They're I, I wouldn't go so far as to say they were necessarily scarier, but. I don't know. Maybe that's true. More threatening. When you hear this alien creature and he's speaking English, there's this sort of dissidence that happens. You're like, what? You're speaking English? Like, it seems a little bit more video gamey. Yeah. 
also the way they framed them were, you know, since they win this fight, a lot of times you see them, they're just like kicking a crap out of everyone. They're just presented as a more threatening, like, oh, this is why everyone's afraid of you guys, because you're so used to being Master Chief and just mowing through the ball. And they're almost like jokes at a certain point <laughs> to mm-hmm. see to play on a side where you just seeing them just completely dominate a, a group of Spartans. They're like, oh, OK, this is why we take them seriously. OK. Yeah, the the winter contingency level, which is what mission two, I believe, or maybe even the first I think it's three. two or three. Oh, one or two, yeah. Uh, when you first encounter them on Reach with Noble Six, you, first you come across these like victims, these marine or these farmers they interrogated, and then just left kind of mangled around these farmhouses. Yeah, and then there's this inkling that the Covenant is on Reach, but. They're not willing to believe it because similar to the Titanic reaches this fortress that's like too big to fail. Yeah. And obviously we know where that's going, but it's just like, no, if they're on reach, that's akin to like, that's akin to, you know, Napoleon reaching Moscow. That's, that's just the end of things as you know it. So they are like, you can kind of hear it in their voices. They're like, no, let's just not jump to conclusions. It's got to be insurrectionists, which of course the Spartans were created initially to combat terrorists in like the outer rim worlds for the UNSC before the covenant ever got there. So they're still in that mindset where it's like the covenants like, that's a problem for the outer edges right now. We're still just worried about terrorism as they called it. But you know, you find these torture victims, you find these mangled farmers, and then you hear these jackals doing their barks and the grunts even kind of sound like without that, you know, the, if it's not the same language as you, there's, it's at least like, it feels a bit like something. There's just that unfamiliarity. We're like, Oh, Okay, so, you know, something that is not supposed to be on reach has landed here. And then as you start to slowly figure it out, you kind of hear it in all all over the comms like, oh, shit, the Covenant are here. And it feels like people are a bit spooked for once, as opposed to Master Chief being like, I need a weapon. Like, all right, (laughs) we get it. It's like a horror movie setup almost. I like it, too, that they didn't at this point, they wouldn't have known where Earth was. It's on the outer edges of the galaxy. Like, that's where the Covenant live. We don't really know where they're coming from. And I like the concept too that the Covenant didn't know where Earth was. Like that was a big plot point early on. That Earth is, or excuse me, the universe is just so vast that they don't even know where we live, which is in a way a defense against them. I really like that idea. And realistic too. I wonder what Neil deGrasse Tyson would say about that though. Is there like some thing he'd be like, no, they would have been able to track us through radio waves or something? Get him on the show. Yeah. yeah. No. All right. Let's. Is he available for Halo Four? Yeah. You want to see advisor yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson? Yeah. He's an Oni. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know. Is there any any other highlights from the game? We can we can jump into the narrative if we want. I know during development they actually cut a mission. There was a mission where the player would control a scarab in the ruins of New Alexandria, but they had to cut that for time, which is kind of a shame because that sounds like it would have been cool. I'd like to control one of those. Yeah. Should still do that. Yeah. Yeah. Three, four, three. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. I bet the arbiters would do it. Yeah, they would. One thing they did get in, which I liked, was there's the moment where you're controlling the, the saber, right? It's the ship where you fly up into space and then you have a dogfighting scene in space. Yeah. You take off. You, you and, um, forget, is it you and George get to the landing pad so you can take off to go defend the ship up in orbit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember getting in that. I'm like, oh, are we going to pilot this thing? Because vehicles have always been a big part of the Halo franchise. And so they try to add a new vehicle almost every game. 
So this was like a big deal. It's not just a new airborne vehicle, but it's a, you know, you fly to space. Like, that's really cool. And I thought that dogfighting scene was gameplay wise fine. Like, it's not pushing the envelope or anything, but it was cool to see. Yeah, I've always wondered why there wasn't more of that. Like, there are like smaller kind of in atmosphere dogfights in some of the Halo games. But I don't know, just because it's this massive sci-fi franchise i always think like oh should have like star wars battles every game right like in space and that's kind of the closest we've gotten to that unless i'm forgetting something i like that i like big you know bombastic sci-fi shootouts uh, vehicle shootouts dog mm-hmm. fights basically are they not super popular is that why i mean we don't really get a lot of those dedicated games anymore i know we just got like chorus but yeah, it seems like that kind of came and was like, meh, meh. yeah, if it's not Star Wars branded, then not really anymore. Well, even the Star Wars stuff, we don't get Star Wars. Well, I guess we did just get one like a year ago, but <laughs> but that was that took forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there was a huge like 10 year gap between even Star Wars shooters. So I don't know. I just don't think they're as popular as like a first person shooter. Yeah. Oh, no. First person shooter. Just the the way that they feel and the way that they control i think is just part of everybody's like mechanical vocabulary whereas like dogfighting is just a bit too complex for the average video game player i'd say and adding that into the mix is like a central pillar might be fairly disorienting they would have to put master chief in space but he's not in a ship he's just floating in space but he's just shooting down other ships so it's like a dogfighting game but you're still master chief and he's just propelling himself with rockets so it's like it's the thing that you want or that you already like, but in a new setting, that's how they kind of Trojan horse it in there. And it makes Master Chief look even more like a badass because he's just taking down full dreadnoughts with like a batter rifle. That is my pitch. For- like if Alfonso Cuaron made a Halo game, be like gravity meets Halo 3. <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah. He's sick. There was also a dogfighting scene in Infinite War. Uh, sorry, what was it called? Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Yeah. Yeah, there were several. Which was similar. And there was one just last year in the World War II game. What was that called? Call of Duty? World War II. Vanguard. Call of Duty Vanguard. They, oh, this year's Vanguard. Yeah, yeah. 2021's yeah. Vanguard. Call of Duty, yeah. It was the American pilot over Japan, right? Yeah, and those that did not control well, I didn't think. I did not like those. Yeah, I'd love to see more dogfighting stuff. Apparently that saber in Halo, that they were actually trying to get that into the multiplayer maps, or at least a few, but they just couldn't balance it right. So they kind of cut it probably for time as well. But I would love to see something again, kind of like that. It's it's probably an issue just because they fly so fast. Like, how do you take one down? Maybe a missile launcher, but other than that. Yeah, it'd be super tough. It's a whole different... Like there's a, there's a dream game. It's like a battlefield, except you can actually go like out of atmosphere and then get into dogfighting like in one match doing dogfighting naval stuff on the bigger ships and then like actually get into a ship and go land on the ground. Yeah, it'd be like No Man's Sky, basically. Yeah, but a multiplayer shooter, which is what I'm sure everybody wants. No Man's Sky, but a multiplayer yeah. shooter. It'll get there eventually. It'll be a, one of those free updates. Do we uh, go through the narrative? Yeah. So, yeah, Halo Reach, as we've already talked about and talked around it, uh, prequel to Halo 1, uh, set in 2552. And, and like you mentioned before, Ben, that it's like the fall of Reach novel. It's kind of the first time you hear about this event. Um, but 
And I was wondering, because I, I looked at the synopsis for that novel, because I was wondering if it was just a straight up novelization of this game. And it really isn't. Um, it's more about Master Chief's origins and how he became the badass that we know him as. And the, the actual Battle of Reach really isn't until like the end of it. So it's it's pretty vague. It's just like, hey, this thing happened and it went bad for us. And yeah. I read that book, but I read that book like 20 years ago. I was trying to remember because it is focused all on Master Chief. But how do they insert him into the Battle of Reach? Because he's not in this game. He is. You hear his voice at one point in the game over a radio comm. It's like an Easter egg, pretty much. But he is because uh, Cortana is on Reach, uh, which is one of the kind of leading up to the big climax in, in the game. Um, but he's sent there because, you know, he's aboard the Pillar of Autumn and he sends a team there to go you know, try to repel the covenant, but he himself does not go down there. I think he was going to, but then they kind of hold him back. Say like, you need to stay here and pretty much guard the pillar of autumn. So I guess there was a timeline where maybe he would have been killed on that planet too, (laughs) if they had let him go. But he's kind of like, you know, basically hovering above it more or less, but that's about it. He's just in the freezer in the pillar of autumn. Yeah. He's just like, wow, yo, (laughs) this is going really bad for you guys down there. (laughs) Glad I'm up here. Didn't get out and help for a little bit. Yep, that's that's our master chief, our hero, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, Noble Team, pretty much the primary characters you play is Noble Six, who's sort of the newcomer to the team, fully voiced. The other members are uh, George, uh, June, as we mentioned before. There's also Carter, Catherine, and Emil. And the way it's set up is that, as you mentioned before, Mike, they are tasked with investigating a like busted relays communication and everyone suspects that it was a insurrectionist which i actually again not knowing anything about halo lore at the time i played this game but rewatching it back now i thought that was kind of cool because it's really the first in-game example of the spartans original purpose like you mentioned mike i think you wouldn't really know that they were made to quell human rebellions unless you read all the expanded media stuff but I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, that's right. They weren't created just to fight the Covenant. This is what they normally do or are supposed to be doing. So I thought that was kind of a cool in-game nod to that. Do the insurrectionists have any kind of counter to Spartans or are they just a bunch of schlubs? I think it was I think it was more a matter of the UNSC had so much space to cover and defend that they were just running out of money and resources and bodies to fight insurrectionists that were popping up all over the galaxy the universe so they needed this these elite soldiers to be able to send like one or two of them to a planet to fight a whole battle yeah like what if he can condense 50 guys in one soldier pretty much even though it costs like billions of dollars to make the spartan twos and half of them died from the muscle augmentation <laughs> it didn't go it didn't go according to plan but that was the idea of course, it is not insurrectionists. Like we said, it was the Covenant who have managed to sneak their way on uh, on planet. And so they defend sword base. And while they're there, they meet up with Dr. Catherine Halsey, who of course, is the creator of the Spartan program and also kind of a jerk. <laughs> I think I've forgotten how unlikable she is as a person. She's still alive, right? out there in the oh, yeah. she's it's she's interesting that they haven't like killed her off or maybe it's just because she's so unlikable she's an interesting character 
there's a moment in Reach where it's implied that the noble team will kill her off. This is jumping ahead, but like, uh, like we mentioned, Jun, who's the only survivor, he's tasked with escorting off world and there's a scene where right when he's about to leave with her um i think it's carter i think carter's the leader they kind of exchange dialogue where he says he basically promises like yeah she's going to be fine and then he says hey if the covenant kind of catch you guys you know make sure they don't get anything and he's like no i'll do whatever it takes to make sure they don't get any information something like is he gonna i assume that mean he would murk her it was the uh it was the the shot the call protocol it was named after like a, this is dumb Halo lore. It was just basically, if your ship's going to get captured, if you're going to get captured, you've got to blow up the ship. You've got to make sure everybody on it dies so no one can get captured and tortured or like scanned for the location of Earth. Yeah. And I think, and Dr. Halsey was like the brain, the the whole mastermind behind the Spartan program and just UNSC's last hope of defense. So they're like, well, you, she can't be captured. So kill her and kill yourself basically yeah that's pretty hardcore i mean that's the whole plot of halo one right is like master chief needs to make sure they can't get cortana because she has the codes to earth yeah so yeah so you know halsey kind of tells them like hey the covenant are coming they're trying to steal unsc data and it's clear pretty quickly that they're totally boned (laughs) and it becomes less of a fight about like hey can we actually beat these guys it's like how long can we last to get as many as we can off world as well as uh any valuable information and because you know this is this is happening no matter what they're they're gonna run us out the game kind of becomes a series of skirmishes at, at one point early on we mentioned uh noble team namely you and george uh flying to space to try to take out a cloaked covenant carrier and their plan is to send up a slip space engine and basically detonate it there they just MacGyver it into a bomb is the idea. Yeah, like they just fire up in a rocket with it and they're like, hey, we'll just we'll just blow it up and it'll be great. Unfortunately, the uh, timer malfunctions, so George has to stay behind and activate it manually, which is actually a pretty emotional scene for a, a guy that you only, what, spend maybe an hour and a half, maybe even at that, at that point. But watching it again, he gives like a whole speech about how Reach has been really good to him and, you know, he's like, tells noble six to let him have this moment let him go out on his own terms and yeah he's from reach correct he's one of like the only ones from reach that's why he's able to speak to the farmers in their language at the beginning yeah he's yeah, like yeah. the only he's like the most compassionate dude in the group yeah. he almost feels like the i don't want to say father figure but like maybe like the cool uncle of the group he seems like he's the oldest at least that's the impression yeah. i got he's like the gentle giant archetype kind of he's like nine feet tall but he's also nice like the the little girl runs to him after they save her from those elites right i might be mixing up a few different missions but yeah and even gets like mad at emil when he's talking to the farmers and emil just kind of doesn't care he's like why are you yeah. spending time with these civilians and he kind of gives them a look so yeah. they pretty much took the most likable guy and killed him immediately <laughs> that kind of sets the stakes right of you know maybe don't get too attached to these guys or any of these guys are expendable even the ones that you really like well i think that's why they really focused on him early because they're like, we know we're going to kill him. So we need to make him super likable and like get you attached to him so that when we take him away, it means something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it works for sure. You get kicked back down to earth, like literally just your body just falls back to earth. 
Which I'm interested in that. So I'm trying to remember. I know we've seen Master Chief fall from great heights before and survive. Well, Halo 3, isn't that how he starts off? You see in Sierra 117, you see him like he is looks like a comet falling to Earth. He's in a dropship, though, isn't he? I thought he was. No, remember, oh, I could have sworn he was. No, because they said he's like, I thought someone said, I hope he's locked up. Maybe I'm misremembering it. Okay. So you might be right. But but yeah, it's funny because in the lore, it's like they use their body shield to dampen falls. Like the shield that you know as the blue bar yeah. helps cushion falls, which is why lore wise, there's no falling damage in oh, many of the games. That's OK. So I wanted to know, yeah, lore wise, how does this work? Because I just imagine I always think about this, too, in like Iron Man films where He's got to have some pretty good padding inside of that thing for him not to get hurt. Like, how is he not just like goo inside the armor? Yeah. But apparently, yeah, there's high tech stuff involved. I mean, the scene in Avengers when he gets grinded up in the shield carrier turbine, I was like, he should be super dead. Uh-huh. <laughs> but hey, padding, I guess. Vibranium. Yeah, there Vibranium you go. Vibranium padding. That's all it takes. So is that what Master Chief's uh, Mjolnir armor is made out of? Vibranium? It's made out of Mjolnir, the hammer. Oh, out of yeah. metal. Yeah, the shielding is electricity. That's Divine perfect. electricity, obviously. Okay, I mean that's that's a heavy hit though. If you're la- landing from orbit, <laughs> yeah. your shields oh, yeah. to protect you from that, and then a few shots of a needler take it down, like yeah, or a rocket like kills you on impact. Like I don't. <laughs> Yeah, I it's mean, one thing to be heat resistant. It's another to still be a human inside that thing. Yeah, I don't I don't think that sh- should work the way it did. Yeah, it's funny you say that because not long after you get back to Earth, um, you know, the discovery of the larger invasion force is uh, made apparent. And like you and the team decide that you have to assist the city. And there's a scene where you're exiting a elevator and Catherine just gets sniped, just Sniped immediately, just through the head, and it's just done. <laughs> and you're like, how that helmet can survive, like, I guess, like, blunt force from, like, falling from orbit, but sniper to the back of the head, nothing. Just cut right through it. Yeah, it was a giant dropship, presumably using, like, a railgun or something, right? I it made it look like the Needler rifle. It was a needle. At least when I looked it up, it, they said it was a Needler rifle. What? Yeah. It, it wasn't it isn't like not the twist, but if you look closely, isn't it the same um, elite that you see early on or later on that kill that ambush you? What's the name? There was a there's a name for like those high elites. Uh, ooh, I had it too. It's it the other time. It's a weird name. And not to nitpick the plot, too, but there was you were standing right there, too. Why didn't they take a shot at you? It's like they took the one out and they're like, we're done. It's a one in a million shot. We did. She was like slightly bringing up the rear a little bit. Maybe that's why they picked her or maybe it was meant to like, like they're like, well, we can only get one of them. We don't know who's the most important of the group. So we'll take one out and then go from there. Mm. Yeah, it was a field marshal of the devoted sentries. It was like those zealots. It's I believe that what you you obviously UNSC has different names for all like you call them grunts, but they're actually the uh, Ugnoise or you call them saying healy but or elites but they're the saying healy but i think they were the devoted centuries but we they were humans call them zealots which are the ones that ambush you earlier on hmm. in the winter contingency mission i think it was one of those so like a lot of people i think there's like a theory that they just had beef with you guys so they were kind of hunting you down afterward and also you were spartans so that killing a spartan would help yeah i get why they would want to kill you it's just 
why why only one? I guess I wanted more of an explanation. It's like, was that their last bullet? What what was the story there? A warning shot. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> like a warning shot isn't we killed one of your teammates. What you guys think of that scene's rewatch? I'd forgotten that that happened and rewatching it. It was like shocking because she's mid-conversation when it happens. Like it's so out of nowhere. Like you're thinking like, oh, they're just gonna they're transitioning from one location to the next. Nothing's gonna happen. They're talking about like she's basically complaining about the mission they just got about like sabotaging something. And she's like, I don't know why they're making us do this. Seems like it should be someone lower on the totem pole than us. And then like mid sentence, she's just gone. And you're like, Oh, okay. Like this is what we're doing. I do like that part of it. I do like the fact that it just makes you feel like, Oh, it doesn't matter where we are. We're vulnerable. Yeah, for sure. Keeps you on your toes too. And just reminds you yet again, that this game is not around they're all going to die which is <laughs> they're consistently reminding you it's going to end poorly well yeah and at that point i'm like okay this is just going to be every mission is watching the dominoes fall until you're the last one yeah. pretty much yeah and i liked her too she had a great line like right before this where she's talking to uh the commander and she's asked like hey she's like are we losing or or she, like she says something and he says like are you asking if we're losing and she says no i don't know if i don't care if we're losing i want to know if we've lost I remember thinking that scene was pretty powerful. And then like two seconds later, she's gone. Yep. The one character who saw the big picture and just they took out. Then you just got Emil who just wants to kill everything. Emil is cool. He does have a skull on his helmet to let you know he's the cool guy. <laughs> yeah, and he uses a shotgun. So, you know, he means business. <laughs> I don't know how he sees through that, but he's cool enough to find a way. <laughs> What year was it that, because uh, I remember, was it Ghost from Call of Duty was a big deal and he had a skull on his helmet as well? That was a he few years have, before this, right? No, because Modern Warfare 2 was 07, so it, or 09, so about a year-ish. Okay. Or, so it was well, like he was a, in the first Modern Warfare 2, right? He wasn't introduced in Modern Warfare 2, was he? he? In the first one, because he's part of the, the team. I just remember Call of Duty had a character with a skull on his helmet, and then... Hey, here's Halo. We got one, too, is what it felt like. Yeah. I mean, Ghost definitely would have existed at this point. Ghost is cooler <laughs> if you're wanting to compare. He's got uh, the sort of, uh, I don't know, storm shadow thing going on, right? Where he doesn't talk. Yeah. Like when he does talk, it, you're like, oh, he's got something to say. OK. Also, Emil's like aggressively kind of a jerk from most of this game so i don't think you're meant to really like him that much like you know he he redeems himself a bit towards the end but he's kind of positioned as like oh he's the the d-bag of the team i see <laughs> oh yeah he's the Raphael. like if if cat was the donatello then and i don't know who the mikey would be but he's definitely the Raphael. like no one he's not he's the ringo he's no one's favorite <laughs> spartan but he's also pretty cool when you really get down to it who's the party dude of halo reach uh george maybe george george felt more like the leonardo to me like the compassionate like silent leader maybe it was you maybe maybe it was noble six <laughs> yeah, yeah noble six is he's the party dude he's the michelangelo he did scream wahoo as he was falling back to earth he thought it was great that looks like reach yeah a little too reach <laughs> that's a deep cut from the movie <laughs> and he loves pizza that was a weird scene where you just it literally from your point of view, you have to sit and watch an unskippable cutscene where you eat three pizzas in a row. <laughs> yeah, he just he's very up and them into his mouth. Yeah. Made out of those Moa birds that they made Pringles chips out of. He was dipping the crust in ranch. I was like, this is unnecessary, Bungie. Yeah, that's true. 
marinara sauce is what you want to do that with. But sometimes when you're at a high school lunch, you don't have the option. Right? <laughs> you're in the fancy marinara at your high you school. You just got to do what you got to do. <laughs> so yeah, cat's gone. So noble team, you know, recovers from that tragedy and eventually work their way underground where they uh, meet Halsey for realsies this time. And she pretty much fills them in saying like, hey, the reason you guys are here is that we got to recover this alien artifact that if it falls into the covenant hands would be a problem. But if we keep it, it could have some secrets that could help us turn the tide in the larger conflict. And so she gives them Cortana and it's a big moment. They play like her little theme. When you see her, they don't focus on her, which I, I like. They show you enough to, if you're a fan, you're like, oh, that's Cortana. But they don't like, like put it in your face. Like, remember her or anything like mm-hmm. that? Again, kind of going back to what I like about the cinematography of this game is that she's kind of slightly out of frame. And it pretty much just becomes the three of you's mission to get her to the Pillar of Autumn and off world as quickly as possible. So as we mentioned before, Jun gets tasked with taking Halsey, so he's gone. And it's just you and Emil and uh, Carter. Carter gets hurt on the way to the autumn and eventually kind of stays behind and sacrifices himself so that Six and Emil can get out. Smashes himself into a scarab, right? Yeah, which is it's a pretty cool way to go if you, <laughs> if you had to do it. Emil gets killed defending the autumn. Also, he kind of has a cool sort of death he pretty much has a last stand where he's just talking a bunch of crap and he's just taking out <laughs> covenants as they're coming and then eventually gets stabbed by an elite yeah he's in that big he's on that big railgun that you have to take over and then the elites start climbing up it and he's just shotgunning them in the face and then one comes up behind him and stabs him with an energy sword through the back but even then he's like, the only way to kill a meal is through the, yeah 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 he keeps yeah he does because <laughs> he's got that like curved scimitar knife on his arm that he uses yeah, which he was cool. Cool weapon. Sometimes we haven't really seen that come back in any way. Surprised it penetrated elite shields, but there you go again with the physics of this universe. Emil knows the right angle to pierce that armor. I mean, like again, Doom, yeah. you just got to like move it slow enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like slowly taking his time and he just took it. It was weird. So, yeah, six is kind of the last one left and eventually fights his way to Jacob Keys, the old captain and hands over Cortana and they invite him to come aboard the ship with them. But he says, no, I'm going to stay here. Make sure you guys get out safe and man the gun. Pretty much. Do you think he made a big difference there? You take out like 40 ships if you're doing well with that big gun. It's like the Gauss gun, right? Or the, the Mac gun. Yeah. The, the Mac. That's like a set gun. Yeah. yeah. Magnetic accelerator or something. All right. Cannon. All right. Maybe I, mean, I don't made know how good you are at the game, but I killed a lot of people. <laughs> I uh, made I probably counted like uh, 50 actually. Uh, oh shit. Yeah, you died at two. Right, I gotta go. I gotta go get 51. <laughs> it's like I was gun- and then I'll come back. <laughs> I was gunned down the moment Keys turned his back on me. <laughs> yeah. You just the same the same elite comes down to the dropship and shoots you through the back of the head with a needler rifle. Just stabs you with a meal sword. This guy's a dick. <laughs> he won't leave us alone. <laughs> He's just bullying you. He's really good at his job. <laughs> then teabags you. Like, how does he even know to do that? Hmm. That's a cool final mission, though, because isn't the like the objective of that mission just says to survive mm-hmm. at that point. And it's kind of, um, I guess, the, yeah, this would have been afterwards if anyone's played Crisis Core, the Final Fantasy game for PSP, similar to kind of the final scene in that game where Marcus, nobody played Crisis Core. 
Oh, well, I played Crisis Core. <laughs> was it very... similar, really? Well, yeah, because it's a similar story, right? Because it's telling the story, the tragedy of Zach, and you know, not to get too spoilery, because I know people are playing remake, but that's another story. That's like this is going to end badly for this character, and there's a similar kind of last stand in that game where you're just seeing how long you can last. So yeah, that's your final mission is just to last as long as you can against the covenant. Maybe you last two seconds. Maybe you're like Mike and you basically take down the entire fleet <laughs> single-handedly. I'm still playing. Yeah. <laughs> right you're now. still defending reach. <laughs> I, in years on. I was like, yeah, reach is like a 600 hour game. I don't know when it's going to end. Like, you think they would have sent reinforcements and I realized the planet hadn't fallen yet. I'm like, maybe we should help this guy. <laughs> I'm waiting for an update of some sort or expansion, but they haven't given me one. I need more guy. You just ran out of all, like you maxed out the game's memory or something. It just couldn't like throw any more at you. No, I, I just, I'm just too good. They just didn't know what to do. There's no more. I saved humanity, but yeah. Halo one still happened. I don't know. Retroactively, I gotta get like right into Bungie. They retroactively updated the other games where the narrative changed in a world where reach yeah. did not fall. We we should talk about this though because uh, we're not talking about it. <laughs> no, we should talk about it because I would say I think it's arguable that this was like the coolest scene in Reach. I don't know how oh, you guys feel sure. about it, but just the fact that the game ends whenever you die. Basically, it's like you can hold out as long as you want. You can try to like survive as long as you want, but you will eventually succumb. You know, they're eventually going to get you. I think that's a really cool way to go out. Especially in a game where you know you're doomed from from the opening credits to go out in that way. Yeah. It, I don't know. It, it adds some agency to it because you can continue to fight, but eventually you're just going to be overwhelmed. It feels like, and I'm curious if you guys ever felt this for, because there's games that have done similar sequences, like basically fights that you're supposed to lose. It feels like playing a nightmare in a weird way. Like it reminds me of the nightmare, the classic nightmare of like running away from something and no matter how fast you run, it's like gaining on you and it's going to catch you. And you like you feel like you're like hauling ass and it just doesn't work. It has that same sense of like terrifying futility in some senses. And like, at least in this context, it did because it's like this terrifying battle that you're in. And I remember kind of feeling that playing that for the first time of like, no matter how good I am, <laughs> they're going to keep coming. And I'm noticing that they're getting tougher and tougher and I don't want to die but I think I'm supposed to die here and sooner or later they're going to get me no matter how good I am. It does that thing too, where I feel like pretty early on, you know, like, okay, I just, when I die, the game's over. Right. But I wanted to push on to see how far I could go. And was, there was like some element of like, I wonder if there's something, if I can just get through this wave, if I can just survive long enough, I wonder if there's something I get. Yeah, like maybe he la you last long enough to get rescued. Like maybe it'll be like a last minute like Deus Ex Machina thing of like somebody comes back for you. Like, no, get on the plane, Noble Six. Let's go. Sergeant Johnson. Yeah, he would have he would have come back and saved everyone. Should have been there. But yeah, there's like you're still fighting for like that faint hope that something mm -hmm. might go your way and doesn't. It was also just the first time in the game, the whole game, you've got this clear objective, which they're good about giving you uh, transport the asset or Cartana or get to this base and then go up and destroy that carrier or just, you know, help this team or investigate what the hell went on here. But then at the end, it's just you don't really have an objective. I mean, your objective is survive, but you don't really have an objective anymore. So it's like, what kind of meaning can you find in that? You could put the controller down and just not fight easily and the game will end and you'll beat it. Why are you even fighting? Almost. It's like, well, you're a Spartan. It's what you do. You're trained to do. 
Yeah. And you're playing as a Spartan and you've been playing these Halo games for four at five entries now. It's like, I don't know, do what you've been doing, but with no real objective outside, just. I don't know if you you could enjoy it or just, you know, or maybe like if they're banking on you to have grown attached to your team members, you're like, I want to honor their memory. I don't want to just lay down my gun because then their sacrifice might be in vain. I should at least take out as yeah. many of these guys as I can for their sake. Well, I mean, the last thing to talk about for the uh, story is the post credit scene um, that's actually set 30 years later. Because one of the last things you see before you go down for good is, uh, you know, Six takes off his helmet and cuts to a cinematic of him basically getting overwhelmed by the Covenant and killed. But you see his helmet laying there in the field. And then there's a time lapse of 30 years where you see uh, the battlefield, which was uh, barren at the time that you were fighting there. But after the years pass, it's lush, it's green, just implying that Reach has basically recovered from this attack. This will be after uh, the humans have won the Covenant War. After they glassed it, after the Covenant glassed the, which I still think is pretty cool sci-fi thing to like heat up a desert so much it turns to glass. Yeah, that'd be a terrible way <laughs> to lose your home. But you get a little eulogy from Halsey, kind of uh, pretty much just thanking Noble Team for their sacrifice and, you know, giving props to Six, saying that, you know, he and his friends pretty much set up humanity sacrifice. And again, going for the the Rogue One comparisons, obviously this uh, game was years before Rogue One came out, but I couldn't help but keep thinking like, yeah, they, they were pretty much the like the same basic thing of like getting the Death Star plans to the rebels. Like, yeah, they had to shepherd Cortana to the UNSC and that wound up being one of the major keys to their victory. But I actually really like this scene again, even with Halsey, who's a, is not a likable character by design. There's something maybe a little bit effective about her genuinely thanking them for their service especially since they're her creations i don't know i, I just thought that was a a nice it was weird to say nice because it's it's a sad ending in a in a very sad game this game is nothing but constant bummers really <laughs> but yeah, it's a sentimental ending in yeah. a very grim game i'd say so it's nice to be like all right it wasn't all tragic well it was pretty tragic but it paid at off. least we got a speech out of it yeah 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 it wasn't for nothing yeah, and I think that's what you have to to leave people with in a game like this, right? Also, Bungie's last sign-off. I think that's true, too, because this was their last game. This was their last stamp on Halo. And to go out with an Indian where just everybody <laughs> dies is pretty grim. And it's it's like, okay, does that reflect their... This gets a little meta. Does this reflect their you know mentality on the series to some level? I just want to kill everybody so they don't they haven't like they can't work on the games anymore. It's like, well, it also loops back around. It's like, all right, now you got the pillar of autumn jumping to Halo. Mm-hmm. It's all a closed loop now. Got nowhere else to go. So we're going to go make Destiny. It could be read as grim. It could be read as a bit hopeful. But it could also be read as like, yeah, it's just we 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 finished our circular hero story. So now it's three, four, three's turn. Yeah, go do it. Hmm. That's good. What do you think? I don't know how to follow that up, but we didn't talk a ton about multiplayer. Mike, it sounds like you played a mostly firefight. Is that correct? Yeah, I played it. Well, I played a lot of multiplayer. Definitely not my favorite. It, it, a lot of it just comes down to how the uh, armor abilities became these pickups. It's it, a lot of it's in retrospect. It's the fact that sprinting is like an item, essentially a piece of equipment that you pick up. I did like how 
the experience of your account was shared across firefight campaign and multiplayer they do it in halo infinite as well but at the time that was pretty novel because halo 3 multiplayer and then uh halo dst firefight were very separate from the campaigns whereas this kind of felt of a piece with everything else and you're gaining experience in campaign that's feeding into how your character looks in firefight which is also feeding into how they look in multiplayer that was the cool thing they did is because you had, you know, Noble Six was not Master Chief, so he didn't he could look however you wanted him to. So you could customize him in the campaign and then bring mm-hmm. that customization, you know, into the other modes as well, which was neat. So it felt a little bit more like your your thing. Yeah, especially when you see the helmets. Well, I mean, you so you create the character and then the first shot of the campaign is the helmet that you created smoldering. And then kind of like an in media res thing and then you go back to winter contingency or whatever it was and then it circles back to when you die the helmet is there like on fire or blackened and whatnot but it is the helmet that you created that they is shown in the cutscene, which is super cool yeah that's neat yeah multiplayer i played a lot i don't know that it was my favorite um i remember reach feeling a bit jiltier like slower almost there was a bit more weight to it whereas the master chief games were always very a bit floatier which I appreciated because it felt more super soldiery, kind of just gliding around almost. Reach felt like there was more gravity to it in a way that kind of slowed things down. Not to the extent of like a Super Smash Bros. brawl, but it still felt a bit weightier and like there was more heft to it as opposed to something like Halo Infinite, which is very acrobatic. But I did play a lot of Reach. Map-wise, I don't remember being super impressed. It's not a game where I... Th- most halo games i could pick at least one map out and be like that was a great multiplayer map reach i don't really think has any of those for me at least i remember playing a lot of reflection which was kind of just a reskin of an old halo 2 map that i had fond memories of battle canyon i think was another big one for a lot of people and then forge was another you know it's whole other kind of thing but it was definitely a thing that people played around in a lot and i remember liking firefight and odst more because reach came along and it felt like they were just trying to layer too many systems on top of firefight like odst was this you know you're these vulnerable hell jumpers trying to defend this one small point and you've got a you've got like a wide array of weapons to choose from but it's still pretty grounded whereas halo reach was all right so here's this round we're giving you this uh we're going to give you these power weapons to choose from then we're going to drop this in and then there's going to be a tank that's going to come up it just felt a little bit more bloated than odst's firefight to me but that being said, I still played quite a lot of Reach's Firefight just because I like that structure. Man, I don't know when Left 4 Dead came out, but it kind of felt like Left 4 Dead it was almost an evolution of that where it's take it and create a campaign style out of your four people just defending an area. It's not exactly a one-to-one, obviously, but that idea of we're co-op online multiplayer, you against the world. I don't know. I like those modes, I think, better than, yeah. than traditional just team deathmatch personally yeah so left for dead would have been 2008 eight i believe so that would have been two years earlier but if you're going with the first i guess horror mode would have been gears of war which was 2007 uh sorry gears of war 2 which was 2000 when the hell was that eight i think it was 08 as well yeah so was that the same year as left for dead huh. yeah, that's weird coincidence but then yeah and then of course like call of duty starts doing zombies which i still like but i i like horde as well i was gonna ask because i didn't play the multiplayer for this game but was this the first halo where it started kind of veering away from the more i guess i don't know if arcade is the word i want to use for the classic like halo multiplayer but that's how it's always kind of felt to me 
And then hearing how more systems heavy Reach and I know four and five got, like if it started to feel more like a response to Call of Duty's growing popularity at that time. Halo 4 was the first one that had loadouts and felt very much like a response to Call of Duty. Halo Reach was getting there, but it was still a bit more geared toward arena shooters. Kind of still it wasn't like on this on the spectrum of like Quake to Call of Duty. It was still toward Quake, but it was getting toward the center a little bit more. Um, You had more item pickups rather than just innate abilities. They were starting to introduce the more acrobatic stuff with jetpacks or the jump packs, whatever they call them, the Halo universe. Mm. They were a lot of the weapons they tweaked with. It it felt like they were trying very much to balance things when the earlier Halos were pretty fun because they, they weren't just making three lane maps for every single map. They weren't making like the most balanced weapon roster possible. The arsenal was still wildly imbalanced. The pistol was overpowered. The assault rifle was not your first choice. The maps were super asymmetrical, especially in Halo 2. It felt like Reach was the kind of tipping point where they did start to kind of bend to some wider mainstream trends. Um, Whether they were esports influence or not, I don't know. I I don't think Reach was very esports influenced. I could be wrong, but... They were getting there. I don't think Bungie ever felt the pressure to feel like it had to bend to trends in the way that I'm imagining 343 probably did feel that pressure. Right. Because you know, Halo launched and it was immediately the biggest shooter franchise in the world. And that was pretty much the case up through three. And even by the time Reach came out, I just I think Bungie was like, ah, oh, Call of Duty's kind of on the rise, but I I don't think they were that worried about it when they did reach and they were also like we said just kind of focused on like let's just get this done and move on to you know our own thing yeah i, I mean i i everything i've heard indicates that 343 also just as an, a first party studio had way more microsoft oversight which could have been like led to more of that mm-hmm. reactionary design yeah whereas bungie was always pretty seemed maybe content might not be the right word but seemed confident in doing its own thing but i liked reach multiplayer and again, it all felt like one big game rather than three separate modes because of the way they implemented the progress. It was a pretty artificial way to do it, but at the time it felt natural because it was a consistent character. Yeah, we didn't talk too much about, I know there was the multiplayer mode, invasion mode. I didn't play a ton of invasion mode, but I know some people really love it. You know, it's this tiered system where you you have goals, you have missions you do, and then when you accomplish that, you have another goal you have to achieve. and. There's a defending team and an attacking team. Did you play much of that, Mike? I did not. Uh, it sounds like Assault from Time Splitters, which is a very weird comparison to make, but I talk about Time Splitters any chance I get. No, I didn't play that, though. I appreciate when Halo games introduce some new sort of mode, or any shooter, I guess. I appreciate when they introduce a mode that doesn't fit that like co-op wave defense, multiplayer deathmatch, or just camp- narrative campaign. I liked Warzone in uh, Halo 4. Five because they did that. They introduced those mob aspects to combine it with firefight. But no, I never played Invasion. I believe it's you know if you have the Master Chief collection, you can go check it out. Have you guys gone back to Reach's multiplayer in that collection? Does it hold up? I have not gone back to it. It's not my f- most. I like Reach uh, for the campaign. I think was as why I said, and I think the multiplayer was fine. I. It's not when I think back to my fondness for Halo multiplayer, I usually think of like two and three, mm. not reach. But that's me. Yeah. No, I think of two the most, I think, because of system link land party stuff. I don't know. Did you ever check it out when you went to the Master Chief collection? 
No, because uh, Reach wasn't in there at launch. I think Reach was added oh, that's a while right. later. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, because it was not Best Chief, not, not really in That it. was the last one to be added, right? ODST was added before that, yeah. Yeah, I think they went in order, so Reach would have been yeah. way out of the last one. Um, so yeah, I haven't revisited Reach since it got added to the collection. So yeah, but I'm with you. Like That campaign is... I think that's kind of Reach's legacy whenever I hear people talk about it. like It seems when people talk about the best pure story in that series reaches usually if not number one it's one or two i think it's probably the best story that bungie did you know it's arguable if it's maybe the best campaign it's definitely i think up there with the their best campaigns yeah i i think so i would agree that's why it's one of my favorite halos purely for its single maybe not purely but almost completely for its single player and what's cool is that you don't need to be an existing fan to play reach like like i was you can just jump right into it and not have played the other ones yeah halo reach came out september 14th 2010 as we've said reviewed pretty well a lot of people seem to like it a lot of people really praise the campaign like we did i know some people criticize the armor abilities you know kind of like what you're talking about mike you had to equip a sprint in multiplayer but there were like you could drop decoys and and shields that heal and stuff like that uh, I remember not caring for that system too much personally, but yeah, overall it reviewed really well. It got the best multiplayer award at the spike video game awards in 2010. If you guys remember those, ah, uh, that, pres- uh, that prestigious event. That's right. <laughs> Goes down in history. Reach made $200,000 million in its first day of sales, which apparently is a record for the franchise, which kind of surprises me just considering how insanely well halo three sold. Yeah, especially you would think maybe there'd be a little bit of Halo fatigue at that point because there was so much Halo in those between 07 and 09, between ODST and Wars and this. It seemed like it would just not feel as special anymore. Yeah, Halo was still an event back then. It was, uh, you know, I think people recognized ODST was kind of a side game. It still sold well, but it was, it was, you know, not as well as like a main game. And this was kind of considered one of the main games. I would have assumed three sold better, but that's interesting. They reached it. Three sold better in the long run, but first day sales was better. Yeah. Reach became the third best selling game of 2010, right behind Call of Duty, Black Ops and Madden NFL. Just a reminder (laughs) that Madden is is still huge. (laughs) That sounds about right for 2010. Yeah. I forgot that was the first Black Ops, too. I like the first Black Ops a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the game that Reach was going up against was Black Ops, which was the first. Well, not the first Treyarch game, but the first game that people noticed and were like, oh, actually, Treyarch did a really good version. Yeah, yeah like their first hit. I'd yeah. Say. Black Ops is good. Just talk about Black Ops for 90 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Be sick. The numbers. Remember how black it was? James Woods or whatever his name is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you'd have told me that James Woods was under Emil's helmet, I'd probably believe that. They're similar characters. Everybody's just using the same archetypes and all these shooters. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. Any final thoughts on Halo Reach? No, I want to go play it now. Like the whole thing. The Master Chief Collection is awesome. Just having all those in one spot. For yeah. Sure. But I want to go play that and more infinite. I've been playing a lot of infinite myself. Like a lot of people. In terms of Reach's legacy, I think I just said it earlier about it's awesome and that it's the perfect entry point. If you're new to Halo because it's a prequel, I think the story uh, hits even if you have no 
context for what comes after it because it i mean it did for me and i i did not play the other ones or at least the campaigns before that it's just a it's just a really good war movie as a sci-fi video game the way people talked about rogue one being just a a great war movie that happened to be about star wars that's pretty much what this it's like this just happens to be halo so if you're into that i think this is absolutely worth checking out i I would imagine gameplay wise still holds up just fine. Those other the ones that are older than it certainly do. And like Mike said, it's on the Master Chief collection. So if you an Xbox player, especially Game Pass, it's readily available. Absolutely. Check it out. It's one of the best entries in the series for sure. Great. Well, I think that does it for us here today on Video Gameography. Thanks, Mike, for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to hang out with you guys again. It's been too long. Yeah, no, it's been great. Anything you want to plug? Anything people should check out? Um, there's a bunch of, I know Halo Infinite came out a few weeks ago at this point, but there's a bunch of Halo stories over on Polygon throughout all of November. We had run just stories about every Halo game, some really cool op-eds, some deep dives, some oral history stuff. Um, go check those out. Just go read Polygon in general. If you don't already, it's a great site. I love writing for it. You should go read it. For sure. And, uh, and then also side thing, uh, Dan Reichert, who Longtime Game Informer fans probably know. Uh, myself and Mary Kish, who longtime GameSpot fans probably know, have a podcast called Fire Escape Cast, where every other week we just uh, sit around and bullshit and talk about games, movies and TV to a lesser extent, largely games, uh, for a few hours, if you got the time. It's a bi-weekly show, so it works out. Uh, go check that out, just on wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, go check that out, everybody. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Please like and subscribe. Send us an email, as I said, podcast.gameformer.com. Please leave us a review. We'll be reading reviews here in an upcoming episode. Uh, you can leave reviews now on Spotify. So we'd appreciate if you go support us on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me at Benjamin Reeves on Twitter. And I am at Marcus Stewart 7 on Twitter. That's the number seven. I'm Emma Hardy. One word. Looks like MMA Hardy. Whatever way you want to think about it. That's it right. works. I'm on Twitter. Because that's why I said battle and Mike Mahardy. All comes full oh, circle. Oh, gotcha. Comes back to the beginning. Yeah. Now we're back at the beginning. I'm I'm mighty mature Mike Mahardy. Mighty mature Mike Mahardy. <laughs> comes full circle yeah. just like Reach. Yep. It's all cogent. Uh, come back next week. We'll be doing Halo 4. Marcus, what do you think we'll say about it? Uh, we will talk about how it is the fourth entry. And no, no, <laughs> we're going to talk about three, four, threes, you know, first foray into the series with challenges they faced uh, and the pressures that they had having to, uh, you know, step into the big shoes that Bungie filled and whether or not they paid off. I know four is a kind of a polarizing entry. I'm actually on the more positive end. So I'm in, uh, excited to talk about why I actually like uh, the story in four more than maybe some of the other ones. So Prepare your hate mail, I guess, for that. I don't think we'll be talking about any of that. See you next week. <laughs>